0: Welcome to the world's premier Black Crowes podcast. State of America, hosted by three of the band's most dedicated fans, Steve Gleason, David Hudson, and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the State of America podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my host, Ian Rice. Ian, how are you? How are you
2: doing, sir?
1: I am well. And this week, we're here with our other host, Steve yes. Gleason. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about bootlegs, and we're going to take, take a deep dive into San Francisco in 2005. Those last two shows are uh, epic and maybe the best one-two punch in the history of the Black Crows. You know, I
3: think if you're going to... Um, assess bootlegs, You, have to, you have, we have to have a common framework to assess them on, so I figured we'd kind of lay that out. So I think uh, you have a basic uh, six criteria, but one isn't really going to come into play here. One is the set list, by far the most important thing for me. The second, the second big thing is performance. And I think sometimes performance can overcome a, a seemingly stale set list. Next up, I think, is rarities. Rarities for me mean everything. So specific songs for me can put a show into the stratosphere. The next thing would be covers. Like the Dead, the Crows are a band that absolutely kills covers. They've introduced me to bands that I love, love like Little Feet. I adore a bunch of the covers they play, you know. Uh, As well, I think jams can be really put a bootleg over the top. Specific jams can make or break the bootleg but a great jam can elevate something to like the Zenith or it can, it can really kill a show. And the last thing is sit-ins always a welcome addition. I don't think it really happens in, in this at all. And I think that's the basic framework you have to apply
1: to these bootlegs is that criteria and then judge them on that. All right. So in my opinion, from here on out, we're cooking with gas set one of night four is he's gone. They're in San Francisco. It's a first time played so the fact that we get a first time played, and it's a song that opens the set, and obviously Chris loves the Grateful Dead, to me this automatically boosts the star rating, probably about half a point just for the simple fact of, of those reasons. I love He's Gone, I'm, I'm a just very, very moderate Grateful Dead fan, but uh, this is one of my top ten Grateful Dead songs, and I think the band does a good job on it, and I know Steve really likes it.
3: Oh yeah, it's the outdoor music I picked. I, I adore this song. This is a top five cover for me. Considering the circumstances, you're looking at the 10-year anniversary of Jerry's death, the surroundings, they're in San Francisco. You know, if I saw this, I probably would have crapped my pants. <laughs> I mean they, they hit all the little stuff in here. Ed's piano roll that starts the tune, the sustained guitar between the between the lines, the ascending chorus. They bring this up and down. Dynamically as well as they ever have. I I just think this is a a knockout cover. What they're what they're really good at is understanding the moment and where they are. And this is a perfect example of that. And uh, this is you know every reason I love the Black Crows. Who else would break
2: out? He's gone. Bingo. It's it's a fantastic song. I think uh, personally, uh, this is some of uh, Robert Hunter's best lyrics I've heard. I love the tune. I, I understand. Um, I don't remember where I read this, but I remember reading this at one time that uh, Rich very begrudgingly did this as a cover. And I think he was like the the last holdout on it. I think the Grateful Dead stuff that Chris did really annoyed him, uh, it seems, especially after reading Steve's book. He's just not into the dead, which is totally fine. I get that. But, uh, you know, it's surprising that he he put up such a resistance to it because their their version of it here comes off so great.
3: Oh, it's awesome. I would have been uh, less surprised if he didn't want to do Broke Down Palace at Bonnaroo in 05. That seems more like one that he'd be like, yuck, Um, because this is a rockin' tune. You know, John Mayer called the riff the funkiest thing that's ever been created. I, I, you know, I adore this tune. I I gotta say, Rich is pretty wrong on that. This is a great
1: song. (laughs) I've gotta think that the second song, Soul Singing, was picked for a reason, kind of a celebratory tone, kind of honoring... Uh, Jerry Garcia, you know, they're in his hometown and they just played this tribute to him. It's just, in pr- just kind of celebration of his music. You guys have anything about this version? Yeah, I think Sven's on fire in this version. I think yeah. he really holds it down. He's particularly
3: good here. I mean, you know, lay the foundation so the guitars and piano can drop a, a melodic mosaic that breathes and lives. And I think the jam is spectacular on this version. I think this is the best version of it. You know, this is a this is a top five show ever for me. One that I've given out a lot of times over my life. Anyways, great version of soul
2: singing here. Absolutely. And I, I happen to think in addition to Sven, I think Mark is on fire on this one. So oh, yeah. uh, Mark is on fire the entire night. And so is Ed. But uh, in particular, Mark really shines on this jam.
3: Well, how many times have we said that during the podcast?
1: I mean, you know, Mark Ford. Right. Yeah. And then we go oh, yeah. in. We go into a song that I think the band, from a musical standpoint, probably enjoys playing. Steve can probably comment more on this. It's probably a fun song to play. Thick and thin off Shake Your Moneymaker. Yeah,
3: it's fast. It's you know as Chris likes to say, this is a rock and roll song. You know, there's nothing crazy going on here. It's just fast and fun and good. I'm never upset when they play it. And uh, one of my favorite songs off off of uh, Shake Your Moneymaker. I think I'm a Sister Luck guy over anything, but. We started playing the Struttin' Blues and the Americans. God, that's a good tune. So much fun. But Thick and Thin is a uh, is a great rock and roll song. They're real up so far in this set. I really, I dig it.
2: Mm-hmm. Thick and Thin has always been a, uh, you know, it's one of those, like, uh, fun tunes. You know, it's not, it's just a quickie. Shows up in a lot of sets. I always liked it. I, I particularly like the, uh, on Shaky Moneymaker, the, the car crashing at the beginning of that. Because I, from what I understand, they took... Uh, it was like uh, Johnny and uh, Steve, I think, just took a car out back and crashed it into a dumpster. So. <laughs>
3: yeah, it was Steve Gorman's old car. And Is they, that it? Yeah. <laughs> that's right.
1: <laughs> All right, so now we go into the uh, always uh, favorite of Amoricans, a B-side off um, the album Amorica, Tied Up and Swallowed. It was so good when um, Mark got back in the band and they brought this back to the set list and they're going to, Go from this into a jam, into young man, old man, which is kind of a odd choice for me, but uh, the first part of it, Tied Up and Swallowed, uh, man, did they rip this one up or what?
3: Well, a real love song. Uh, <laughs> and by that, I mean I'm in love with it. When the Amoricans first started and we picked songs, this was my first pick. Every time I've met any of the Crows' near a show that I was going to, I asked for this every single time. I'm not sure this is the best version ever, but any version of this will do. As far as the jam, I don't think they've ever jammed this tune. It's really completely unexpected. Again, maybe I just want to hear the Midnight Rambler, but I hear it in a bunch of the different jams during this run.
0: Real, some just jazz.
3: I was disappointed when it went into Young Man, Old Man. i got to admit, not a fan of this tune at all. I know people love this tune. I just don't. It feels so forced to me. It's like fake swagger. Mm-hmm. I don't like the verses. Uh, and again, I feel like a cranky old man here. I do like the ending, the uh, Anybody wants Some little jam at the end. I think that's cool. And I think the Mark uh, solo is great. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I like it more initially than I thought. But I, I, I just hate the chorus so much.
2: Uh, you know, and that's that's the trouble with me for a lot of Lions material is that Chris Chris's lyrics often fall short on that. I think Rich was in a very very creatively lucrative place. Uh, you know, he came up with a lot of cool riffs. He was doing some stuff with uh, pedal effects and you know rotating yeah. speakers and things that he hadn't done before. And it was a lot of that. A lot of the instrumental stuff is is lost on Lions because uh, you know the the songs weren't fully formed when they got to the lyric part. But as far as Tied Up and Swallow goes, I love that tune. I always have. The Amoricans actually were kind enough to perform it one, one time at my request, and I will always be forever grateful to that. So,
1: Any request you have, you ask. <laughs> uh, either of you guys, anytime. All right, so we're about to get into a stretch here that's just all tens in my book. Girl from a Pawn Shop, one of the quintessential Mark Ford songs. I don't know if I've ever heard a bad version of this. This song gives me goosebumps every time I hear it, especially the soloing from Mark. And um, I love it when they, the the rich riff uh, during, when they, was it out of the solo where they go into the part where he's playing? Um,
3: PS All My Love, that part?
1: Yeah, yeah. When he's, when he's getting ready, to when they're getting ready to go into that. I mean, whatever effect he's playing through, I've always enjoyed that. I, I know nothing very much about music, but after Young Man, Old Man, they really pick it up with Girl from a Pawn Shop. And I just, I don't know if I've ever heard a bad version.
3: Well, so I, I bought the bass that recorded Three Snakes and Lions. I play it on stage at the Amorgans. Uh, wow. The greatest thing in the world, by the way. Uh, and this is the tune that when I got the bass, I came home, I put on uh, Girl from a Pawn Shop in my band room. And when I hit that first note, the tone was a spot match. And it's just, it's this, this is just magic. I think One of those tunes in the catalog that I I just can't get over. People talk about Salvation being the definitive Mark Solo. I don't think so. I've always thought it was this song. It's jaw-dropping. An emotional powerhouse, this song is. Like you said, P.S. All My Love. Steve controls the vibe of this tune so well. But every note in Mark Solo means something. There's no wasted notes in there. And they're all syncopated to to what the band is doing. What a well-designed tune this is. What a great song
2: if 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 ever somebody was to to say to me what's uh, what's the deal with Mark Ford what's he all about i would hand them something that included this track and particularly even maybe even this version of it because he just he really every time he plays this he puts himself out there and it's it's an emotion that just comes out and and it's it's very it takes a very skilled and a very talented player to pull something like that off
1: it's almost like he's putting his heart on his sleeve for the song when, when he plays it. Uh, we're going to go into Hotel Illness. This is one of my favorite songs to hear live. It just makes me want to dance every time I hear it. I personally think this... Usually you see Illness in, as one of the first couple of songs on a set list. This one's buried deep within the first uh, set. But like I said, they're, they're going to be in a four- or five-song run here where they're just going to do no wrong.
3: Yeah, I have a friend, Richard Carmesino from Mass. He's a veteran of 80 Crow Shows. And he posits that Hotel Illness... Would fit very naturally on Exile on Main Street, and I tend to agree with them. You know, put it in place if I just want to see his face. I think that would work great. I I, I adore. That's a hot take, I know, but <laughs> I absolutely adore Hotel on this. What the the lyrics are just the greatest, and the the drums that come in be, behind. Hypnotized by your rotten behavior, you know. That typifies my love life from 15 to 25. I just, <laughs> so, I love hotel owners.
2: You can never go wrong with that one showing up in a set list. It's always fun. Chris gets the harp out, you know, knocks out some real stellar runs. Uh, very underrated harp player, by the way. I I, I know that's been brought up before, but it always has to be said. He does not get enough credit for his harmonica playing.
1: Into bring on, bring on. If I had to pick between bring on, bring on, and uh, how much for your wings, I'm probably going to prefer bring on, bring on. Uh, they're bringing it down just a little bit, no pun intended there. But uh, nevertheless, this works in this spot because they're going to uh, they're going to hit you in the face the next two songs. And got a, I talked about it here before a lot of times. And obviously, Steve's more attuned at developing a set list because he's an actual musician. But I always think like you don't need three just stomping songs in a row. You need something to bring you down some. And to me, this does the perfect job right here. Yeah, I think this is an underrated gem. They
3: seem to play this in Boston a lot, knowing how many wackos there are like me there, and they're going <laughs> to eat that shit up like candy. And you know, I've, I know I've used this phrase a couple of times, but the solo of this song, Rich and Mark weave a sonic tapestry. This is one of those tunes that when people don't like it, I'm shocked. I uh, I adore this tune. I prefer the the on that hollow day jam into it. Uh, this is a boss version. The baby's eyes, damn! At the end, it's just <laughs> you know it builds and it's so wonderful. What is positively springtime? I just I, I adore this
2: tune. I don't know what it is, but it sounds good. It, <laughs> it sounds like it'd be
3: something good. Yeah, but it's got. To
2: uh, I I've always liked this one too. It was a, it's a standout for me on Three Snakes and the 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 times I I've ever heard it live. It's it's always great here. It's 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 good as it ever has been. And I, I, the lyrics, again, they do a lot for me as well. Uh, it, the opening line, you know, um, what could I do different? And it makes one sober to think. I mean, that's, that's, that's so introspective.
1: All right, so we're going to close out with Gone into my morning song. I don't know if there's anything negative you can say about Gone. This is one of the tracks that I believe just showcases who they are as a band. I remember like about a year or so ago, somebody posted a clip of the song, and Steve Gorman just retweeted it. And he's like, "That that's the sound of a band that's on fire. He's
3: 100% right. This is always welcome. I mean, I, I 100% prefer the percussion intro, and I loved that the Magpie brought that back. This is my favorite opener to any album ever. The build is insane. You know, our singer Seth uh, asked me this, and I, I have to agree with him. What other song takes its time to start a record like this one? It takes like a full minute and a half before the bass even comes in. Mm-hmm. This version takes its time a little bit. I I prefer like the '95 versions, but this is always welcome. What a great song this is.
2: He's the Steve's right. It, it's a it's a fantastic tune. I mean, what did what did Chris say when I saw them in '06? Uh, an old timey folk song. He called an it. folk song. Jones <laughs> and, uh, Yes, and uh, yeah
3: yeah yeah. I've listened yeah, to that bootleg once or twice. It,
2: it was a great show, but I, I always liked uh, Gone. Late in the set like this, it's unusual. Usually you see it more towards the top when they're getting things going, but Agreed. what can you say wrong about it, you know?
1: For the second time in four nights, they're going to close out the first set with my morning song. To me, it just makes sense to come after going in this slot. Yeah, you know, this is the Black Rose whipping post for me. Uh, just the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Um, you
3: know, I, I love the breakdown and, and the jam. I, I assume they work this stuff out in uh, in sound check. Great set closer, you know? Those girls, one thing you might not know as a non-musician, when they play the the end part, you know, when they build the end and Chris is singing that repeated line over and over and over, those girls singing that, do you know what kind of breath you have to have to do that for, for 90 seconds to two minutes to sing like that? It's underrated how good those two girls are. Ask Charity about that if you ever get her back on. That It's insane how long they, they let that jam go. Want okay. some, need some, that whole thing. It's, <laughs> right. it's insane.
2: It's know. probably good that they uh, close the set with it. They can go backstage and take a breath in yeah. between. Well,
3: yeah. We play it for 45 seconds and it seems hard. They play it for three minutes here. Just amazing. Just amazing.
1: All right, so we're going to come out set two. The acoustic guitars are back out. With Peace anyway, one of my favorite B-sides. I actually prefer the by your side version of this song versus the band session version. One that uh to me could is kind of odd on acoustic guitar, but it uh you would think it's going to be odd, but uh, it works for me in this setting. So the uh the acoustic here is
3: definitely cool, but I agree with you uh I think it you know, it's one of these tunes that's much better electric. It does lead to a lot of people holding back as to not run over the tune. Uh, but this is a really intense tune to play. Uh, when they come out of that uh, piano organ intro, whichever version they're playing, it just explodes, you know and that doesn't really happen here. Um, it does show off that the singers, you know the girls are awesome in this. Ed's fills round out the the sound and uh, there's definitely a mistake coming out of the solo. I'm not sure if it's Ed or the band. One of the two makes a mistake. but and Ed gets hung out to dry, but they sort it out professionally just fine. not even sure you did you notice it i didn't
2: <laughs> i didn't pick up on it no
3: well there you go so they they came out of it well then uh but i love peace anyway it's uh our guitar player kevin's favorite song so we play it a lot it's a tricky tune it's a tricky
2: tune it is it's always uh it's one that i'm always surprised didn't make a record well, I, it's on I the band heard. record right mm-hmm. yeah that's true yeah but i always love it it's a welcome in any form for me in any set anything from the from the band really is uh is welcome in any set that i've uh, i've ever heard
1: all right so we go into another first time played the faces glad and sorry this would go on to be played fairly regularly especially with uh, a would bust it out every now and then it was on their first live record song that that i really just love hearing play i think it's a great song just to begin with and they do a great job on it here
2: oh yeah it's fantastic it was, the faces version is great but you know their black rose take on it is the fantastic this is the first one of only seven times i think they played it and uh it's great i i will say that the the magpie version is the definitive cover version for me because i like what john hogg does on it
3: this is so fantastically good, I don't even know where to start. You know, We had practice two nights ago here for the Americans, and uh, we were playing this song. And uh, I was just thinking in the middle of it, god damn, I love this song. The rich and Mark harmony in the verses is beautiful. I think the nice part of the acoustic version is you can really hear every instrument and what they're doing in this version. Uh, it's a great first take on this. I think Mark's first solo in the song is somewhat tentative, but the second one is uh, Blockbuster. Uh great tune, you know, top ten cover. Love it.
1: All right. So we get to what I think is kind of a, a down point in the show. Do right woman, do right man, and bend down low. Neither one of these songs ever done a whole lot for me. What about you guys?
2: Oh, I, I, I think it's fantastic. I I didn't know until more recently, uh actually until around the time uh that she passed away. That it was actually Aretha's tune because I always knew it from the Flying Burrito Brothers, but it, it's it's funny to me what uh, what the crows do to some uh, you know because a lot of a lot of people that come see the crows are straight up rock fans, yeah. and they will always bust out uh, country tunes and reggae tunes, and this is like you know one right after the other, and I could I could see how that could be jarring to some uh, some uh, attendees of the concerts, but I've always liked this song, and I think they do a it real justice in this in this particular show.
3: Yeah, I just think, I think it's jaw-dropping. I think it's as beautiful as music gets. I love the, uh, it's the best version of the song, I think, over Aretha, over the, the Flying Burrito Brothers ever. I think the Crows do country and country-style rock as well as anyone. I think the, the Chris and Rich Harmony here is graceful and elegant. This sounds to me like Nashville in the 1960s. There's so much emotion, it's exquisite. I, I adore this song. I uh, Bend Down Low is a tune. I think crows, the Crows kill reggae tunes in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think this is very different. I'm not a big fan of the song in general. I think it's kind of repetitive. Uh, it kind of just stays on one thing. Their version in May of 05 of Baby, Baby, We, we Got a Date. Uh, I went out and bought Catch a Fire after that and was like, ooh, that's one of my favorite albums ever now. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I think that's their best reggae song. I saw the Magpie do this up in Portland maybe two years ago. Like it, don't love it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a—it's uh, not one of my favorite Bob Marley tunes. So t- to hear it, you know, covered, it's already starting at a deficit for me. And I—I—I I, at one point I was a tremendous Bob Marley fan. Not that I don't appreciate him still, but I don't listen to to reggae all that much anymore. All right, we're going to skip
1: over jealous again because we've we've talked about that several times. Into another first time played, and you got to think they're playing this because uh, it's a Jerry Garcia song, and they're in San Francisco, and it's the ten year anniversary of his death. One of the highlights of this uh, show for me, Stealin. Yeah, I think Stealin is cool. I wonder if if Broke Down Palace would have been better
3: placed here. Personally, the guitar work from Rich on this is is great. He really gets the vibe of the tune, and really. Who doesn't like the the Eddie piano solo in this? You, you just don't get music if you don't like it.
2: No, it's great. It, it's weird to me that Jealous Again is sandwiched in there between Bend Down Low and Stealing, because it kind of, almost doesn't fit in that slot. But I, I've always liked the song Stealing. I, it's a song that's been covered by many, so I, I've heard it by many different artists, and I, I really feel that uh, the Black Crows really gave it one of the more faithful and interesting treatments. So we've had two
1: first-time plays, which, uh, and we're both big fans of both of those songs. So this really helps to ele- elevate the star rating for this show. And we go into title song, which has not been played since ten thirty oh one. I believe that was in Boston. Something tells me Steve was there. Bingo! <laughs> I was there.
2: That's one of the two shows they recorded for the the two thousand two live album, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, uh, yeah.
3: The end was uh, a title song. Can't you hear me knocking? That was Ooh. the encore. It's pretty nice encore.
1: I'd say so. I think this song is a lot better live than the recorded version. Um, there's just something about that intro that Ed plays. Uh, it just really gets me every time.
3: Yeah. You know, this is one of those tunes. If it's on the set list, it elevates the set. End of story. The, the Eddie organ intro for me, it signals that we're about to go on an eight minute ride, people. And uh, it's going to be just breathtaking It's another song that shows the interplay between Rich and Mark is just paramount to why the band is good. It's just minor chord nasty. This is serious rock and roll. This ain't looking. (laughs) This is serious rock. How did this song not make a record? It just didn't. You know, Dylan Dylan level lyrics here. Uh, It's a powerhouse. You know, the guitar tones are so nasty on
2: this. I love this song. Oh, it's uh, it's definitely great. It's uh, I, I would say you know, you're, you're absolutely right about it raising the bar in terms of set lists, and any set list it's on is automatically that much better. I would even go so far as to say if this was um, amongst all the hits on the 30th anniversary tour, it would make the show that much better. You know? Right. We're not going to get it again. <laughs> I know. I know.
3: If I saw it on one, I'd consider going <laughs> to multiple shows. Yeah. So
2: many more- I'm going Don't. For- don't dash my dreams, David. <laughs> well,
1: if you get it, you're going to be very lucky. Uh, we bring the set list down with Hard to Handle. They've already played that. So this is the third time in five nights they've played it. Uh, into Coming Home. I think it's a little bit better version than the first night. Uh, what do you guys think?
2: I uh, I totally agree on this one. This I was waiting to kind of say something about this because I love how they go into coming home because there's um, on coming home there's that little uh, you know guitar lick that uh, Delaney always played and Rich does and they they do that at like a, as like a call out a couple of times at the end of that jam and then it fires into coming home. That's really cool.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I think this is a much better version. Like, you know, I can't say anything more about you know hard to handle. People play, it, they react to it. Blah blah blah. I think uh, the jam's real cool at the end. You know, Ford's really on it at the end. How many times can I say that? But uh, yeah, I do like the fact that they call it that guitar line a couple of times before they go yeah. into it. That's yeah. very cool.
2: It is, and it actually makes the presence of hard to handle okay with me in this instance because that's I like how one goes into the other.
1: That's true, yeah. and they close it out with Remedy. You got to think if you bought tickets to all five of these shows at some point, you're like, "I'm tired of Remedy." Uh, closing out the second <laughs> set, you know, maybe I don't know if you if you saw the band enough times on uh, a or a Bust,
3: they closed every night with Remedy, every night. It was inescapable. And you know, I always kind of dug Remedy. Uh, the guy would get out in the crow suit and dance around, and it was fun. And uh, I don't know. This is this is one of those tunes that when I saw. The first Mr. Crow's Garden show and they played this, I thought, oh, OK, now that had that tune swings again. It's got swagger again. I do think there's a hell of a lot of fuzz on his piano at the end. But, uh, you know, hey, Remedy, it's a
1: cool tune. <laughs> and we're going to come out with an encore. And I believe if my memory is correct, this is the first original for an encore of mm. the run. Uh, she talks to angels. They break it out. I don't mind it here, honestly. Uh, for some reason, sometimes I get tired of it as a, as a, like a standalone encore and not of a part of a two song set. But uh, yeah, they do a good job here. I mean, they they've played this song, I'm sure, more than anything else. Or maybe maybe they may have played Hard to Handle a little bit more. But they're gonna you know send everybody home with Remedy and She Talks to Angels, which I think is a little bit odd though, considering they're on a five show run and they're in San Francisco and. You know, that's kind of a hotbed for them. You think they may, may have gone deep again for the encore, but they chose to uh, go out with one of their originals. Yeah, three out of the last four of their biggest hits. I don't know. They
3: played so many deep tunes early in the set. Maybe it's like, okay, hold on, we'll give you this on the way out. I mean, you know, Ed rules on this. He just rules. Plus, Mark Slide. Christ, I mention these two constantly, you know. Is it because they're the best players in the band? Maybe.
2: Uh, there's you're not going to get much of an argument from me on that one. I would think though, if you were going to these shows and you had you know some you picked one, and you end up with the one night that they don't do some uh, uh, cover in the encore, you'd be a little disappointed, especially give you know you're being handed the the radio hit instead, you know.
3: I you know I don't know if I got title song, morning song, peace anyway, glad and sorry. Tied Up and Swallowed, all these tunes, Girl from a Pawn Shop. I don't think – I mean, for me, this show's a 10. This is one of the best shows they've ever done. Uh, I think this is a top five bootleg of all time. I don't know if I'd go away mad. I think it's got something for everybody, and uh, I I just love this
2: show.
1: All right, Ian, I give it a 9. What do you give it? Obviously, Steve gives it a 10.
2: Yes, I gave it a 9 also, and this is probably – I agree with you, Steve is one of my, uh, one of my top, uh, bootlegs and, uh, you know, I definitely will be spreading this around to anybody who doesn't already have it.
1: All right. So now we're going into night five and this is possibly my favorite show of all time by the black crows. It was one of the first really high quality recordings I ever got that just really sounded really, really good. And I, I make sure I haven't lost the CD copy of that so that I always have it on hand we're going to talk about what's our favorite opener song, opening song of the whole run, and this was this is my "One Mirror Too Many." it's so perfect because you have that slow you have that slow build at the beginning you can have the lights down and have the lights come up at the right time and when they kick into this uh, man it's just it's music to my ears i always think this is kind of there's two songs that i think are kind of like forgotten songs in the black cross catalog this one and better when you're not alone that are really good songs i feel like people don't talk about a lot and we get both of them on this show and so when i hear the the opening to that song uh, it just always puts me in uh, um, a good mood, knowing that it's going to be a good show, especially as an opening song.
3: Well, after listening to these five uh, discs, I'm officially angry I didn't go to these shows. But uh, <laughs> I agree with you completely on One Merit Too Many. I It's a Middle Eastern goodness. I, I love this song. We play this in the Americans. I love playing this song. This is a cool song. Sven is killing this by the way i know i said all johnny colt johnny colt earlier but it doesn't mean sven's not awesome he's awesome and he is murdering this this was one of those tunes in the the post uh, 92 to 97 era that got left behind uh great opener for me yeah love it love one matter too many
2: and as an opener i think it's really strong and i always like to see it in the opening spot It's a song that kind of just dives in i remember reading a review of uh three snakes at one point, and they say that they said that one mirror too many sounded like it drops you into a, a song that they've already were jamming on before they started hit record. You know. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. All right. So, so I liked it.
1: So we get Sting me in the second slot again. Um, I don't think Wait, in the second slot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unusual. Um, yeah. Unusual. They, they're, they're really, uh, they're really trying to throw us a, a curveball there. We go into go faster. Oh, uh, another one of the tunes that, uh, Mark did not play on. Uh, I think they do. I think they do the song justice here. And I, I think Mark asked it. This is that one of those songs that if we, you can get past the lyrics on it is actually not that bad of a song, but the lyrics on it can kind of kill it for me at times, but, uh, they they have definitely picked up the pace with the first part of this set and, uh, go faster. Uh, Mark does elevate it uh, over the original version. Okay. I hate this song. Uh,
3: <laughs> I don't hate everything off BYS. I, I, I think By Your Side is a pretty good record. But I think Chris from 1992 would make fun of him saying, you know, one time, two times. Yeah, exactly. fun of that. It just feels so manufactured by Kevin Shirley and produced. This is the guy who shit-canned Another Roadside Tragedy, Peace Anyway in Wyoming and Me. For this? I don't know. I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon, but how do we get from I'm stuck in a January that won't ever end to I don't think it's diseased, but it sure is sore. Oh, <laughs> yuck. I, I just think those lyrics are like, come on, man. It's this is a tough tune for me. I just don't like it.
2: Yeah, I, it's it's a rough one for me. The I understand the placement of it here because it's high energy, but uh, I don't know. It never I always liked it better as Sad Brown Eyes, to be honest with you.
1: Agreed. Or a red wine stains. <laughs> yes. So, all right. So we go from that into a jam into Black Moon creeping. Um, does anybody have any thoughts on that again? I
3: think this has got a lot of uh, swagger. It's got a slow build. I think, um, I think Black Moon always signals a good night, number one. I think for me personally, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking about bootlegs, you know, the definitive version of this for me is the Norva in 05 in May. If you don't have that, I have that one. Yeah. Oh, man. That one's tremendous. Um, Like it. Like it. The next tune is what does it for me.
1: Yeah, just a sick version of Pain and Eight uh, off the band sessions. This one, how does this one not, you know, make an album? It's just, oh, man, the lyrics get me every time. Um, This is one of my favorite songs off that album.
3: Well, David, they had to put on Go Faster instead of this That's true.
1: That's true. Or (laughs) or that Diamond Ring BS. Yeah,
3: I I, I know. It just kills me.
1: I adore Paint Nate. I
3: just adore it. What is it like to be on a bender with Chris, right? Right. Here's real (laughs) lyrics, you know. This tune is the very definition of intensity. Sven is murdering this song. And this is a very, very tricky song. For me, this is top flight crows right here.
2: Love it. Anytime Pain and Eight shows up, you're never gonna get a complaint from me. I think the version here, you're right, uh, Sven is doing. Everybody's doing excellent, but Sven does stand out on this one, and it's just it's an excellent tune. I always, I read somewhere, I think it was on Crows Base, that Pain and Eight became Come On, which I don't. I never hear the similarity. Mm. Yeah, mm. I
3: don't
1: hear that. I'd have to break down the chord progressions, maybe, but I I don't hear it. And now we're going to slow things down and get kind of bluesy with Bad Luck, Blue Eyes, Goodbye. A song that for me, uh, if I had to pick my least favorite song on Southern Harmony, it's Bad Luck, Blue Eyes, Goodbye. But still, it's a very, very good song. And I, I think it plays better live than it does on the album. Mark Ford does a great job on this version. This is one of my favorite tunes to play live. I, I can tell you why they don't play it that often. It's
3: brutal to sing. It, it's one of those tunes that reminds me that Johnny Colt is the man. The bass line on this tune's is awesome. Um, he just came up with all those awesome bass lines in the first four records. Anyways, I uh, I think this is a badass song. Um, those Mark Ford runs throughout are just you know, here's a song that Luther could never get right. They played it a couple of times with him. He never had the vibe of this tune. When you see Mark Ford get out the strat, it's like, please play Bad Luck, Blue Eyes, Goodbye.
1: You would think it would be in his wheelhouse. Yeah. But it's it's just one of those... There was just certain songs in the back catalog, I agree with you, that he just didn't handle well. He just
3: doesn't bend notes like Mark does. And this tune is all about bending those notes, in my mind. Mm-hmm.
2: There are just There are certain songs that Luther was able to put his stamp on, and it wasn't... The same as it was uh, when they were originally recorded, but it was still, you know, at, as good. And then there's some songs that are just definitively marked Ford, and you really can't get around that. And this is one of them.
1: All right, so now we get into the jammy portion of the show. After Space Captain, well, uh, we have a jam, and then How Much For Your Wings, and another jam, and then right back into Thorn In My Pride. Two songs back-to-back that usually take up a lot of time. And to me, it's kind of... I don't really like that much jamming back to back, to be honest with you. I, I get kind of lost in it at times, uh, even though they close it out great with thorn in my pride. Well, I'll say this, despite loving the dead, I'm not a, a fan of
3: these like spacey deconstructionist dark star type jams. I prefer an almond brothers jam all day. And I think that how much for your wings, like ask for that, that crazy spacey jam. And I, I, they play dreams for 19 minutes. I'm never bored. I'm just never bored. Right. Um, button this i'm like when's this gonna end
2: uh i mean you know while the how much for your wings jam is a little meandering it does get back on course with the thorns progress into uh, thorn and my pride and i always like that as a set closer you know on all the other shows they did it it's fantastic
3: and it the jam doesn't really lead into thorns progress when that thorns progress jam starts i think this is like the best version of it that they played this has all the hallmarks of like a 1993 version this sounds like the the one from pink pop to me uh which i just think is amazing I agree uh, you know I, I think this is an 11 this is just badassery this again i know i said it's the quintessential black crow song but they build this jam and it's long it's like six minutes but it is a top of the shelf black crow's jams this particular one love it
1: all right so we're coming out of the break uh with acoustic guitars again sunday night buttermint waltz they're just for whatever reason, they're in love with it while they're in San Francisco into Darling of the Underground Press, one of Ian's favorite songs, a song that he thinks should have made Southern Harmony in place of Time Will Tell. So, Ian, I got to think you were happy when this one popped on.
2: I was. and I'm surprised you remember that, because that means that it stuck with you that I thought that. <laughs> but I I will always maintain that. I, I And the only reason. Not the only reason. I mean, I really like the song, but a big part of that was because I thought that album should be all originals, but yeah, I, never a disappointment for me in a set. I think it's such this song has such a great swagger to it. It's, it's unbelievable.
3: Yeah. One of my favorite B sides, I think if you stuck this right between hotel illness and black moon creeping, it would fit just perfectly. Um, again, this is one of those tunes. It's not nearly as popular as I think it is. Every time I ask somebody about this, they seem very blah on it. I like the electric better, but I, Can I See Your ID, Please? I love this tune. I'm a fan. Happy every time I've gotten it.
1: All right. We get another first-time play. To me, one of the highlights of the entire run, the band covering Sin City by the um, Flying Burrito Brothers.
0: The scientists say We will all wash away But we don't believe So please show
1: This song just makes sense to me for them to cover it. And once you hear it, you understand why. Uh, Man, this is just an amazing song that they decided to debut in San Francisco.
3: Yeah, any Burritos Brothers tune for me works. Uh, I will always root for Hot Burrito Number 2, but Mm -hmm. this is gorgeous. You know, love this tune.
2: I mean, I, I'm a tremendous fan of Grant Parsons and uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers. I think this is one of their better tunes. I was actually just going to ask you, because I know you'd seen them in Vegas, if they played this in Vegas, because that would be the place to hear it Yeah.
3: Now, now I'm going to look it up, because I, uh, I thought they played it, but I could be wrong. Definitely.
1: We We <laughs> go out of that into the Bob Dylan song tonight, I'll Be Staying Here With You. They they do a great job on this. I love when Chris sings this song. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, I love it when other people sing Bob Dylan music. Uh, this was another one that kind of seems to be tailor-made to the guys, and I think they've always enjoyed playing this.
2: I always liked this song. I first got turned on to this song when I saw New Earth Mud do it in uh, in 2002, and I think Chris, he definitely handles this vocal yeah, beautifully and uh it really it's like a feel-good song for me you know in a lot of ways
3: yeah i adore this song obviously i'm a huge dylan guy i've seen him a bunch i think his touring band from 94 to 2002 was the only band that ever rivaled the crows for me this is really good but the version from 05 at the norva i think is is the quintessential version only because rich is on acoustic in this it makes me miss the insane guitar interplay that's at the end of that norva version check that out if you haven't if you've never heard it you know markets turns out in the mix here I don't, i'm not sure why all
1: right we go into another first time played off band wyoming and me man i don't know if i can find the words of how much i like this song when i first heard band it was like the most standout track to me and i just the title of it to, to me is 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 great just makes you really wonder you know how does this is another one just yeah, I mean, we sound like a, a broken record. How does this not make an album? And how has a country artist not picked this up and made it a hit? That's what I want to know. This is one of the few tunes in the catalog
3: that matter that I haven't seen live. I saw Ozone Mama once, so I'm not better for that. Um I love Sven on this tune. So well balanced. It's it's such a beautiful song.
2: Yeah. I- this is a great one. I mean I, I don't want to uh, I'm not trying to rub it in or anything but I did I managed to catch this once live. I believe it was at the town hall acoustic shows but this one, especially at the time in 05 this was like this is one of the songs that if I saw it in a set list or I or if I was present rather and it was in the set list, I probably would have passed out because I from excitement over it because this is this is one of my definite favorites I and I, I agree with you guys I don't understand how this never hit a record. I think we got to go round up Kevin Shirley and give him a uh, talking to.
1: And we roll into probably the most upbeat song on Three Snakes and One Charm. I think it's kind of a forgotten gem by a lot of people. Better when you're not alone. Yeah, I, they obviously hadn't played this uh, much since 97. You know, it's funny.
3: There's a, there's a fat mistake right before the chorus, too.
0: It yeah, time to me down.
3: I love this song. It's clearly a rarity. They only played it like 50 times total. And when you played 1,500 shows, you know, that's not a lot. It lends itself, I think, very nicely to an acoustic rendition. And I like the Ford runs, but I, I really like the, uh, I like the electric versions better. I always thought this was a great opener. Detroit 96, if you've ever heard that bootleg, has a, a great, great version of it opening. Big fan of this song. I agree with you. Forgotten gem. Great song
2: and it was only played twice on the 2005 tour so it was it's still kind of forgotten then it definitely definitely is one of their one of their best tracks overall i think
1: and we're going to get a clinic on the next song feathers there's just something about this being played especially when mark on the intro and everything that just really gets me going a nice song coming out of the mostly acoustic part just to get really really kind of swampy and 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 down in the mud with feathers
3: well in the Americans, this is the number one most requested song shockingly i i I adore this song i think the riff is so insanely dark i think if you really listen to it steve adds so much on that ride cymbal uh to the vibe of this song it reminds me of like kind of blue whose vibe comes from that drummer it's slow it's mean it's nasty how did this not make Amorica? This and tied up and swallowed. Ron Wood knows why, but nobody else knows <laughs> why. You know, the sustained Ford fuzz tone is so good. There isn't a thing about feathers I don't like. I'd take it every single show if I could.
2: When you're sitting there and Steve starts hitting that that ride that on the intro. <laughs> And yeah. it's one of the most exciting things in the, in the black crows universe that I've ever experienced.
1: And it's so, you simple. know, you're about
2: to get something good. Yeah. And it's so simple. It's, you're right. It's, it's unbelievable. I love this track every time. Steve's probably like, this is the simplest thing that
1: I play the, you know, in the catalog. <laughs> All right, guys, we go into under a mountain. This leads me to think this is a pretty kind of three snakes heavy uh, show. Uh, we have five songs off three snakes and that's never a bad thing. Um, under a Mountain's a song that I've always thought, you know, count yourself lucky if you get it. Uh, I saw uh, Magpie open a show with it. But, uh, yeah, they just, um, man, this is just such a good song. Ed, you know, plays such a big role in it. I, I don't know about you guys, but I love a show that's that's Three Snakes Heavy.
3: Uh, my favorite record. Look, like I said, I bought the bass. And when I met Rich and he told me the story of it, I was like, oh, Three Snakes. He goes, I know, Three Snakes. Um, This is the single most underrated tune on Three Snakes, in my opinion. Like, its lyrics describe a drug addict perfectly. You know, stuck to the mattress, perfume and volume. It's show-stopping. It's such a cool tune. Any idea on what number 13 represents? I'm really not 100% sure.
2: I've I've never been able to decode that myself, and I always left it to be one of those what do they call them on Crosby's Chrisisms? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love this tune. Big fan. Oh, uh, you can't get—I mean, on the album itself, uh, as an opener, uh, and even in a live setting, uh, he seems to be the only guy that can ever do it right too. Probably because it was his creation. But when Ed hits that down swing on the, uh, oh, the on sweat. the organ yeah. Yeah, to, to, to introduce the song, oh god, that gets me every time. Still. Yep.
1: All right, so we're going to go from that into uh, another song off Three Snakes, "Evil Eye." Um, I've just never been a fan of this song. To me, it's it's doesn't fit on Three Snakes, and uh, it's a bit of a, a a bummer on the set list when I see it, especially after kind of the highs of "Under a Mountain." I don't love it. I feel like it's a show killer. At times, it
3: cannot be slotted in a part of the show that's upbeat. You know, deep cut makes people happy. I guess. Not my favorite, and you know, if they put this after uh, feathers, it would have been a total mistake. Here, I guess maybe it works.
2: I never had the uh, distaste for it that some people seem to have. I, I always liked the song. To me, it's the weakest song on Three Snakes, but it's an odd one to place at any time in a set. Really, it kind of—it never really has a good place amongst other songs. It's—it's it's odd. Agreed.
1: All right, so we go from that into one of the all-time great Ed and Mark Ford songs, She Gave Good Sunflower. Uh, much like Hotel Illness, this one always makes me feel good, makes me want to dance. Kind of an odd place uh, placing on the set list here. Usually you see it more in the middle or, or uh, kind of up toward the front. But they are really on a roll right here. And uh, She Gave Good Sunflower it really adds to the – any any show you see with that, it adds to it. And I just think it just showcases Mark and Ed so wonderfully.
3: For me, this is the most underrated song on Amorica. You know, as my friend Amy likes to say, be the sun that bursts through my clouds. I, I wish they played this at every show. This is a super under-the-radar Mark solo that rips as hard as anything he's ever done. I can't say enough about this song. When I, when I turn someone on to the Crows Beyond the Hits, I point them to this song. It's just dirty. That jam is fantastic. And uh, I love this tune.
2: This song is probably one of the most underrated songs in their catalog, I think. It never gets the the attention it deserves. I I love it. Mark kills it on this. Ed, you know. And Mark and Ed have been killing it this entire run. So, you know.
3: Yeah, how many times can you say Mark and Ed are killing it?
2: I know a lot (laughs) yeah
1: yeah. All right, so we're gonna go into a song that uh, seems to be uh, a a fun one for him to play Mark gets the third verse on it Happy by uh, the Rolling Stones off uh, Exile on Main Street probably the best it's my favorite Keith song and uh, the band just seems to really have a lot of fun with it especially on this version
3: yeah who doesn't love a Stones cover really Um, I love that Rich and Mark sing a verse you know the first time I saw it in 96. Uh, I was shocked that Mark even sang. I had no idea. I've never understood the key change, though. They drop it a full step um, for a band that plays in, in as many exotic tunings as they do. I'm just surprised that they dropped this song. But uh, I'm always happy to hear "Happy." You know, yeah.
2: It's a it's a great tune from Exile. And actually, that you mentioned it, uh, 96. When I heard that on a, on the uh, the bootleg from uh, 1215, 96, the joint. That's the first time I ever heard Mark singing at all. So it was kind of thrilling. And I like the fact that in 05 they kept up the tradition. Great song. Nice way to close a set, too.
1: Yep. All right, so we're going to keep it across the pond for the first encore. They're killing me with all these Beatles songs. But uh, <laughs> Happiness is a Warm Gun, for another first-time played. So this show has three first-time plays, which is that's a lot. Obviously, I'm just not a big fan of it, but something tells me you guys like it.
3: I wonder how many sound checks it took to get it together. You know, it's certainly cool and ambitious. You know, I, I really like your blues a lot better, and I, I, it's an ambitious song. I don't know, not my first choice. It's cool that they did it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I definitely give them uh, big credit for for giving it an attempt at it. It's actually, you'll be surprised to know, David. It's it's actually one of not one of my favorite Beatles oh, tunes. Cool. So, Yeah. You know. <laughs>
1: All right, so we're ending the five-night run with what I think is a perfect encore, Little Feet's Willin'. I know that's kind of always thought of as like the Lowell George uh, showcase song for for him and kind of the one he's most famous for. I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Crows just make this their own, and um, they they seem to enjoy playing this, whether it's Brothers of a Feather. Obviously, they, they play it as the Crows. They put it on Crowology as like a bonus track, I don't know if I've ever heard a bad version of this by these guys.
3: Yeah, in my mind, this is the cover. I love Little Feet because of the Black Crows. I am always hoping for this tune. Always. Weed, whites, and wine. Uh, I first heard it in the Orpheum in 96, and I had no idea what it was until I read the review the next day in the Boston Herald. And then I had to go search it down. You know, a true road song, right? The piano work in this song is just, it's just sheer beauty. You know, that's the only part of Steve's book that really bummed me out is uh, just Chris descri- uh, describing Chris being a dick about coming out and playing Salvation after this. It bums me out when I hear this song, only in like a penultimate kind of way. It just, this song kills. It just kills. And I, I always want to hear this song.
2: Oh, it's fantastic. And, and uh, much like yourself, it's it's. What introduced me to Little Feet, and I've had a uh, pretty much, I guess, about a 20-year uh, uh, love affair with Little Feet now. And uh, and uh, this song, though, you're right, it's the, probably their ultimate cover, and it's almost like the tune was written for them, as if Lowell George somewhere said, you know, in uh, you know, many years from now, there's going to be some guys from Atlanta that this song's going to be perfect for.
3: Yeah, they knock it out of the park every single time, no matter what. If it's not you know, Mark's slide work, it's, I don't know, it's such a good song.
1: Guys, so that brings us to the end of the uh, show review there. It's five shows uh, in San Francisco. I give that final show a 10.
2: Yeah, I give it a 10, too. I can't go wrong. I'm uh, I'm coming in just slightly under you guys. I, I, I put that at a 9. Um, I like the the power of the show, and I think the energy from the night before really carried over. I think it's actually really good that the eighth was a day off because I think they they came back very rejuvenated after the first three shows, and and uh, the ninth and the tenth are are stellar.
3: I think it's the best two show run that they ever did. To yeah. be honest, I think Hampton Beach Oh Six is
1: close. Mm. Try and prove me wrong, you know. <laughs>
2: uh, all right, gentlemen. So,
1: what was your favorite opening song of the run? Uh, he's gone.
2: Uh, I'm going to have to say uh, only halfway to everywhere because I just love that version. One mirror too many for me.
1: All right. What was your favorite encore? Willin would get my vote. Yeah, I'd have to say Willin.
3: Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree. I love Willen.
1: <laughs> all right. Of all the first time plays, which was your favorite? Mine would have to be uh, Wyoming and me. Yeah, that's tough. I'd have to say he's gone.
2: I'm actually going to go Glad and sorry on this one.
1: All right, Steve. So kind of as we wrap it up, kind of what was your overall impression of of the run and where do you think it stands overall?
3: Well, I think if you for a five show run, the only show the only comparison, I guess, is the Fonda in 05. I think um, I I just think it's it's top flight. The last two shows are are amongst the best shows they have ever played. I think it, it shows off. A huge amount of what the Crows do. I think that show that was filmed in the middle of it kind of threw what they normally do, and they repeated more songs than they normally would. So I think if it wasn't filmed, we would have gotten even more gems out of it. I just think, you know, it's spectacular. I go back to, to eight, nine, and 8.10 a lot. But listening to the other ones really gave me, I mean, that halfway to everywhere. How did I not pick
1: that, you know? <laughs> give me a,
3: you know it reminded me that those are really good, too.
1: So which show was it that Steve said in his book, Chris wouldn't go back out for an encore? That one,
3: 810.
1: Wow. After Willen. Wow. yeah,
3: That's the one that it bums me out every time I hear that Willen, and I'm like, oh, this could have had a, a you know, transcendent salvation after this. Mm. Well, Steve, do you have any closing comments for us? Yeah, I really want to say uh, uh, thank you to you both. Uh, I know I bid on this. I bid on this because I wanted to support both of you, and I really... Uh, I think what you're doing is outstanding for the community, and you're providing a a template for other people in how to discuss something rationally from multiple sides while having a lot of cool guests on and giving a lot of different people a a chance to voice their opinion. And uh, thanks to you both. It's been a hell of a lot of fun.
2: Well, thank you for coming on with us, Steve. I mean, and and, and I'm not just saying this because I wouldn't just say this to anybody, but uh, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you have an idea or something you think can make a good show, you just let us know and you'll be, you'll be back on with us.
1: Yeah. Thanks for the kind words and we appreciate all your support and want to remind everybody that Steve is in the Amoricans. Go find them on Facebook and follow them and get all the updates for their shows. Speaking of Facebook, if you hasn't, haven't done so, go like our Facebook page, State of Amorca Podcast, and Twitter at State of Amorca. Uh, we uh, have built a, uh, our following on Twitter quite nicely the last few weeks. I really appreciate that. And uh, Instagram, State of Amorca Podcast. So, Steve, you're the host. You get to play us out. Why don't you tell everybody what you want to hear?
3: Yeah, I don't know how we can think about this run and not hear this beautiful version of He's Gone.
1: Enjoy. All right, everybody, that's Steve. We want to thank him again for coming on. Here's He's Gone from the Fillmore 05 Run. Stay tall, everybody.
0: (laughs) ¶¶ In a dream.